I'm pleased to be joined today by Dr. Cynthia Delgado. Dr. Delgado chairs the ASN Diversity and Inclusion Committee. Um, she's also an associate professor of medicine at the University of California, San Francisco School of Medicine, and she's on the faculty at the uh, VA uh, Health System in San Francisco. Dr. Delgado, thank you for joining us for today's discussion. Thank you for having me, Todd. Dr. Delgado, I want to make sure that we're clear on the focus of today's discussion. And the quote that I keep hearing is that a problem like systemic racism requires systemic changes, that you, you can't address such a large problem without thinking more broadly than the problem itself. And when you hear something like that, I'm just curious as to how you react. Well, for me, systemic racism is a form of racism that's been expressed in practice at the institutional level. Uh, and, you know, for us, I think that race, this sort of racism not only impacts patients, but also members of healthcare community. And you need not look too far, but to see the number of United States medical uh, school faculty who are Latino, African-American, Native American, which is less than 6% combined compared to that of non-Hispanic whites, which is 63%. Um, I also think, you know, you think about the proportion of Latinos and African-Americans beginning fellowship training between, you know, 2011 and 2015, that number re remained relatively low in the single digits, particularly with the African-American uh, matriculants remaining relatively unchanged. So when I think about systemic racism, I think not only about the impact of patients, but also on the impact of the members of our healthcare community. So as a starting point, we really need to focus on the healthcare workforce. And for the purposes of this discussion, if we, if we sort of limit ourselves to the physician population and to physicians in the United States, what do U.S. medical schools and training programs need to do to start to address the issues around systemic racism? So, yeah, I mean, there absolutely is no, no room for neutrality when it comes to actively working towards dismantling systemic racism at all levels of education. And some of the things that I think um, we should be thinking about doing is program building for curriculum development, uh, curriculum development not only for trainees, but also for the faculty who are responsible for training the next generation of nephrologists. Also, to look towards, you know, division chief training uh, focusing on faculty engagement and ongoing maintenance of that training. Uh, this is definitely a moment where we have a unique opportunity to have an all-hands-on-deck approach to dismantling systemic racism and how it's reflected in the healthcare system, both at the academic level and the delivery of healthcare itself. So, you know, I think that um, some Strategies for faculty engagement can include, you know, um, not only grand rounds, but actual dedicated training that gets renewed every year uh, with the commitment of each division chief. Um, and, you know, some of the committees that we work with uh, may help us develop uh, curriculum around this topic. So you focused on both undergraduate medical education and graduate medical education, expanding into the role of the training program director and the division chief. If we shift from sort of the formal educational continuum into more continuing medical education and the role of a specialty society like ASN, 
I'm curious, from a process perspective, how would you try to address this issue? Well, from a process perspective, I think uh, we are uniquely positioned with the uh, Career Advancement Committee, having we had just met with them to discuss certain aspects of this um, in the fall. But I think, uh, or rather back in, in January, it's been such a long couple of months, it feels like it was in the fall. <laughs> but, um, but I do think that there is actual opportunity for program development around this topic targeted towards individuals who are historically underrepresented, looking at ways that uh, we can improve their matriculation into higher levels and on faculty and in the academic world. Uh, you know, I think that um, we had previously talked about having a pipeline, a, a virtual pipeline in which uh, individuals could uh, continually check in with a mentor system at various checkpoints in their career to double check that they're on track for getting to where they want to be. And originally we thought we were thinking about this in terms of the assistant professor level transitioning to associate then transitioning to full professor. But really uh, this tool could, this virtual tool could potentially actually work in various ways. You know, it can work for the resident who's thinking about uh, nephrology as a career. It can work for people who are changing from one career aspect to another, say someone who's going to be, who's a private who wants to go into academics. And really more, how should I say, um, more interactive to the needs of the individual and unique to the needs of the individual, uh, which I think sometimes uh, certain programs don't get to tailor to that level. And so, I, I, yeah, I think that's one of the things we wanted to work on. Um, some of the other things we had discussed was potentially having a regular interval meetings with the other committees. The Diversity Inclusion Committee could meet with other committees and review their charge and look at ways that we can uh, collaborate on dismantling the systemic racism by picking two or three topics that the committee itself in question is looking at and finding ways that might diversify or increase the equity of the committee's charge. You know, listening to you, I'm struck by some of the challenges that ASN has just in terms of its its committee structure and sort of historically how it's approached some of the processes. So just to give you two concrete examples, the ASN nominating committee, which is responsible for developing a slate of candidates for the ASN council, and the ASN Awards Committee, which is responsible for selecting the recipients of the Society's Lifetime Achievement and Mid-Career Awards, both feel a little bit hamstrung because they depend on nominations for, for identifying and then ultimately selecting candidates for the, the slate or for the awards. I just want to make sure that that's what you're addressing is, is a potential opportunity here for the Diversity and Inclusion Committee and, and the overall organization to help broaden that pool and really look at those processes. It is. It is. I think sometimes we're so siloed within our own committees and we have a history of, of um, doing things the same way that sometimes it does require that we we open the lid a little bit and, you know, look, really take a peek inside and have someone else from the outside try and help look at ways that things can be improved. Um, and certainly with the nominating committee and with the awards committee, we could 
there, there are definitely things that can be done to improve the diversity of individuals who are awarded. So I'm curious about balance in the sense that ASN membership is still predominantly male. And as you pointed out, the number of, of African-American and Latino-American and Native American members is in healthcare, but also in ASN and in nephrology is relatively small. I think you said it was around 6%. How do we balance having the society's governance be representative of the membership, but also making sure that we're doing everything we can to provide opportunities for underrepresented minorities? That's a good question. I'm not even sure I even know the answer to that. I think, um, or at least the full answer, I think that's a very complicated question because uh, we don't want to uh, overrepresent uh, one group over another. And we really do need to think about this more methodically in terms of knowing how what our members are and who they are and who they represent and ensuring proper representation of our membership. But on the other hand, if we don't start targeting individuals who have been historically exposed to multi-generational uh, institutional racism, I don't know how we could actually end up getting to a point where there was more of a balance and an even representation. So this would be a fine, fine line that we would have to walk on to figure out ways to, one, identify ind individuals who could lead uh, by example and be identified as members of the community that we, we really need to, to uh, members of communities that we really need to work on improving matriculation to nephrology from, and but also be balanced in the sense that we also represent a very diverse community of nephrologists, not just within the United States, but, you know, across around the world. I mean, the American Society of Nephrology is, quote, the American Society of Nephrology, but actually it's a more international group of individuals who are a membership um, than we might might otherwise think. Targeting what's happening in the United States and dismantling what's happening here within the U.S. may actually be a nidus for other countries to start thinking about ways to dismantle their own uh, experience with systemic racism. And so I think, you know, keeping things narrowed in on where we need it to be here with the U.S. experience and then broadening out might be one way of thinking about it starting with the, you know, the couple of things that we can do to initiate the change and then looking back at the change and then maintenance, looking at maintenance and improvement on ongoing things might be one way to do it. In thinking about what you're saying, I'm reminded of something I learned from former ASN Secretary Treasurer Don Wesson. And Dr. Wesson taught me two things when you think about these issues. The first is that if an organization is truly committed to addressing or encouraging diversity and inclusion, it must be part of the overall fabric of the society or of the organization. It can't be something that's in a cul-de-sac of a committee. It needs to be across every aspect of the organization from a committee structure perspective, from a governance perspective, from how the staff thinks about these issues, everything. And then the second point he made, and, and there's great data on this, and, and you can look at it in multiple areas. And, you know, this summer, there's been sort of a resurgence of interest in Hamilton. And I think, you know, this is a point that Lynn Manuel made really well in terms of the casting is that a, a truly diverse team, a team that embraces diversity and inclusion 
is much stronger than a, than a team that, that doesn't. And, and, and again, I think there's compelling data. And so you kind of put those two together, this idea of being across or throughout the organization. And then by, by embracing diversity and inclusion, it will make ASN as an organization. And I would argue the nephrology community stronger. But this has grown into something that may even be beyond the, well, is beyond the diversity, inclusion, and equity committee. And I think, I do think we need a task force that's actually, you know, tasked with the implementation, maintenance, and ongoing improvement of diversity, inclusion, and equity through each committee and through each, through the membership, through the fabric of the membership, and making sure that we're actually weaving in what we believe and that diversity, equity, inclusion really does strengthen our workforce, our delivery of healthcare, our membership, and our ability to serve this world as healthcare providers. Uh, and so I do think that um, taking this outside of the committee and permeating our charge through every committee and through every aspect of ASN is going to be important. And we're going to need a task force to help us stay on task. I don't think that this change is going to be something that's going to be short term. I do think that these will start with some things that can be actionable over the short-term period of time, but there are need to be long-term goals, and there needs to be a governing body to oversee and make sure that we stay on task. So as I think about it, I realize that the ASN Career Advancement Committee probably needs to be scoped more in a more focused way around how best to promote the careers of a diverse and inclusive workforce in nephrology. Yes, and I and I do think that one really great step in that direction was the, the partnership with the Harold Amos. Um, and I think that multi-level mentorship program would benefit its membership quite well um, and help to bring in individuals who may feel like they are either marginalized or lost or have um, – experienced isolation and bias by virtue of being the only of among the few who have reached a certain career stage. So a mentoring program that's um, interweaving and addressing across not just one institution, but multiple institutions potentially may improve um, our workforce and our career advancement of the workforce for individuals who are underrepresented. So I think, you know, some things that we had talked about was not just fellowship programming, but individual funding to task towards looking at things that would, you know, ways that we can start thinking about, um, like I think we talked about health disparities itself and what that really means and um, maybe even looking at partnering with the NIDDK to think about what the question of race really is. And I think I think this is probably going into the next topic of things that we were talking about with research, but some of these things are so well interweaved with one another that it's really hard to go from one topic to the next and think that you're, you know, not segueing into something else. So if ASN's serious about addressing systemic racism and nephrology, the agenda is is quite broad. You know, we we discussed the need to consider issues around undergraduate, graduate, and continuing medical education. There's a huge agenda around research and discovery and innovation and you know, perhaps being more um, direct in terms of what we think that agenda should look like and what those research priorities should be. 
There's a third piece around leadership development and career advancement and, and sort of thinking about all the issues around developing um, the careers of a diverse and inclusive um, nephrology community. And then finally, there's all the issues around how we deliver health care and, and the concerns around social determinants of health and health disparities and, and what kinds of policies should we be advocating for in terms of, of really overcoming those challenges. One of the major topics that has been um, hotly debated in the last year or so or more is this the idea of the, you know, the EGFR equation, um, the MDRD equation and other equations that use race um, within the equation to adjust for um, kidney function. And, you know, the question is, are we really... Are we tr- do we truly think we're measuring race when we think about adding race as a covariate, or is race really a, a signpost for something else? And perhaps a call for proposals um, looking at whether when we really examine the role of race beyond what has been identified, you know, in genetic studies and whatnot, what are we actually adjusting for? Um, and I definitely know that the EGFR topic has been a hot one, but I also think about when we look at large population studies and we're looking at disparities and we adjust for race, are we really adjusting for race or are we really adjusting for multi-generational exposure to lower socioeconomic living conditions that are brought on by institutional racism and, you know, the inability of an individual who lives in a specific location where the, you know, average income of that specific location and the bias that has been built into um, their lifestyle uh, has affected their ability to access health care with the same equity as other groups has, has been able to access it, um, you know, has the lower socioeconomic strat- strata and the exposure of that affected living wages and finances in a way that, you know, a, the ability of being able to go beyond what others can do um, is really just stagnated. Uh, and so I, I, it would be interesting to have a discussion with the NIDDK around this topic, uh, looking for maybe a call for proposals that look at whether or not when we question or add race as an adjustment, are we actually adjusting for race or should, be we, or should we even um, is race an appropriate thing to be adjusting for, or should we even be adjusting for it at all if it's really more of a signpost of something else that's happening? Historically, ASN's policy priorities have been very much focused on kidney diseases, kidney failure, transplantation. But if we take a step back and say the ultimate goal is promoting kidney health and ensuring that everyone has access to high-quality health care and that's the first step in terms of ensuring um, a population with healthy kidneys, then the policy agenda probably shifts and we have a lot more conversations not only about health disparities and social determinants of health, but also issues related to how do we make sure that everyone has access to health care? And, and, and we can argue about what's the best solution there. But from a policy perspective, that becomes the goal And it also means that as an organization, we're thinking more broadly about the overall health of the population, not so much specifically around people with kidney diseases, kidney failure, 
kidney transplants. I mean, it becomes a very different sort of set of policy priorities and, and a very different sort of advocacy structure and, 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 and effort. Well, yeah, and, I, I, you know, hypertension and diabetes are the most common etiologies of uh, kidney failure. And we have plenty of advancements in the management of hypertension and diabetes, yet, you know, a disproportionate number of individuals who end up with chronic kidney disease are, of, you know, from hypertension or diabetes are of African-American or Latino descent. Uh, and so this is a question of how can we engage ourselves a little more in, in encouraging access to quality health care for everyone in an equitable fashion? And would that eventually impact the rates of patients who have chronic kidney disease um, from the more common um, etiologies of hypertension and diabetes? Um, I think there's uh, some data that suggests that the prevalence of like there's more marked rates of progression of kidney failure um, amongst African Americans uh, and Latinos compared to Americans, with African Americans having something like over three times higher rate of progression and prevalence. Um, that's a problem, and I and again, we have to think about the social impact and the healthcare relationship uh, of of those factors and how it kind of evolves into what we see. As you've thought about this issue and considered the role ASM can play in addressing systemic racism and nephrology, what's the most audacious idea you've had? What's the thought that has occurred to you and you've taken a step back and said that would really force ASN as a, as a medical specialty society, but the broader community to think differently about issues around diversity, equity, inclusion? I think actually going beyond the being outspoken as a community towards this issue and actually putting our quote unquote money where our mouth is, I think would be a grand um, effort. And I think really engaging everyone in digging deep into addressing this issue would be one of the most, one of the most incredible things ASM could do. And it sounds very broad and vague, but when you think about how nuanced this issue is and how many different ways um, we should be thinking about this and addressing it, it is going to be a very broad approach. Um, and I do think that it is going to be an all-hands-on-deck moment, and we should be striking now. Driven mostly by social media, there have been some extraordinary exchanges, either individual health professionals, including physicians, talking about how they've had to address racism or face racism in their, during their training, in their careers, um, sort of professional and personal experiences. Um, a lot of these have been targeted toward um, sort of academic medicine, but there have also been some that have raised concerns and, and ac actions by specific medical societies, in, including ASN. And so one of the things that I think it's really important for an organization like ASN to do is to hear those concerns, to not be thin-skinned about them, but to really understand that the ultimate goal is to address these issues and improve um, the overall world in which we live and which we work. 
And so as we move forward, I think we culturally as an organization have to be open to that discussion, recognize that it's a bi-directional discussion, and, and really listen and hear um, what people are saying, what their experience have been, and then what we can do as an organization, as a medical specialty society, to address these issues moving forward. Well, I think when you when you think about the comments um, that have you know the um, the calls for action and the the number of institutions that and organizations that have called um, who have stepped up to address the social unrest that's been happening, you know, one may think that you know we haven't done enough to to align ourselves with other organizations that have said Black Lives Matter and. You know, this is the social injustice that's um, inappropriate. Um, and, and it's not, I don't think that ASN doesn't disagree. I think ASN agrees. But, you know, we also have to remember that, you know, historically, most healthcare societies never actually said or did anything that could be considered highly political or socially charged. Uh, we have largely remained neutral. Um, and, and while it is important to acknowledge the social unrest and what's ha- what has been exposed by social media um, and has been, you know, demonstrated on camera, what, what some might say has been happening for many, many years. I mean, not just some, but I mean, even in, I think in the New York Times, there was recently a public uh, an article that showed that things such as police brutality and the and death of an African-American male happened about a th- over a thousand times in the last few years. Um, and, and so in thinking about how do we as a society, as, an, as the American Society of Nephrology, address that and speak out against it, but also hold true to who we are, um, it's, it's a very, very hard thing to kind of navigate around. We, we certainly don't want to feel like we haven't said enough. But at the same time, there does come a point where it is more important to do than it is to say, in my opinion. I think it's important for us to stand together and take action rather than spend our time spinning our wheels saying this is bad or that is bad. We know this is terrible. We know its effect on our healthcare care uh, delivery, and we know that it has affected as a, has affected the health disparities that we see in our patient population. So I think that one of the best ways for us to address some of the criticism that's been seen um, on social media is to actually take action and demonstrate that we're going to be a leader in this by doing something about it rather than just saying. Um, and with regards to some of the other commentary, I will say that um, some of the members of, or even my, my community, uh, my committee have largely been silent. Um, and there have been whispers of things here and there. Um, but generally, there was a sense that there is a reluctance to be quite open to open to actually discuss their experiences, and a reluctance to feel like they can truly call out the issues that have affected them without feeling, without having the fear of repercussion. And what I mean by that is there, there are folks out there who have left academic medicine um, for reasons of institutional bias and racism and have 
been unable to really voice their con- and there are others who have been really unable to voice their concerns for fear that they you know may not get promoted or may be viewed as difficult uh, or not towing the line. And so you know it's a tremendous amount of pressure for an individual to even of a diverse background to even feel like they can speak out um, and express some of the things that they've experienced. Um, and so sensitivity in that direction would be, you know, maybe may have to take the, the form of maybe an anonymous forum with um, just quotes of things that have happened, not necessarily to publicize them, but so that we can truly see what's going on. So we can truly see what each individual within our membership is experiencing. I myself have experienced at every level of my training some form of institutional racism, even um, during my medical school um, application process. So, I mean, and that was 20 years ago um, where I had an inter- a, a faculty member at an institution ask me why it was that I deserved a position at their medical school when I should be at the church barefoot and pregnant. And so those sorts of, and even at that moment when I was at that age, I didn't know, um, I didn't understand how charged that statement was. I actually had to ask someone else what that meant. Um, and I, I'm curious, you know, I, I think that there are still moments of that sort of nature happening, and there may be a reluctance to talk about these sorts of things. But I think if we bring an environment of safety to bring some of these issues to light, we will be better equipped to address them and better equipped to prevent anyone else from experiencing things like this in the future. For the past decade, there's been declining interest in nephrology as a career. And nephrology now has an opportunity to address these issues, make a commitment as a specialty to focus on these issues and address them in such a way that it differentiates the specialty from other ones and really sets a path for what the specialty can be in the future is is embracing diversity, equity, and inclusion. Dr. Delgado, I, I can't thank you enough for taking the time today to have this conversation I look forward to working with you over the next couple months and years to to implement a strategy that, that really does attack systemic racism and nephrology. And so in closing, I'd like to give you the last word. What should our overall mission statement be for this effort? I actually, I, I'm going to turn to one of my committee members who wrote this very succinctly. I, I think it was the best way for us to put it together. There is no room for neutrality when it comes to actively working towards dismantling systemic racism and its impact on healthcare delivery and our workforce. And I do think that um, that is a succinct, clear message in and of itself. Thank you, Dr. Delgado.